nonetheless, they do that. So we're going to look at this probably at least the next top two weeks. And uh, we're going to be looking at various different cult or cultish groups uh, in, the, in the weeks ahead on Wednesday night. Do you want to take uh, one service or, or at least a couple? We'll look at the Mormons, the Jehovah's Witnesses, some of these various uh, cultish or cult groups. Now the reason the Hebrew Roots Movement is so dangerous is because it is not a defined denomination. And what I mean by that is most people involved in the Hebrew Roots Movement do not meet in any organized meeting place or with printed doctrinal statement so that you or I could go and examine their doctrinal statement. There's no uniformity uh, within most of it. And there's a lot of uh, ambiguity in regard to it. So the Hebrew Roots Movement is dangerous because in most part it's composed of don't need to hurt anyone's feelings, but what the Bible calls simpletons. They are seduced into a form of pseudo-intellectualism who then infiltrate local congregations of all different denominations and then they begin to spread their doctrines to others who are also without solid biblical discipleship. So they focus on people, the word simpleton is a word that means they're just not, they have no Foundations, they don't really have any doctrinal foundations. So they focus on those kind of people and take advantage of them. Now, unfortunately, this scenario of doctrinal ignorance is descriptive of most evangelical churches these days. And so the movement can and has spread quite rapidly in the last 15, 20 years since its inception existed before that in various forms, but really began to take off among the evangelicals and the mystics uh, in the last 15-20 uh, years. Now it's taking root in a lot of evangelical churches. So the failure to understand the transition between dispensations and their governing covenants have proven to be a constant tripstick for many young believers who have never been discipled in the word of God. It's true of almost all liturgical Christians, otherwise they call themselves Christians, but they're not saved by grace through faith. It's true of almost all the cults, Seventh-day Adventists reject dispensationalism, Pentecostals reject dispensationalism, Reformed theology rejects dispensationalism, replacement theology, obviously covenant theology rejects it. And over and over again, Mormonism rejects dispensationalism. All the cults do. But unfortunately, immature believers are not the only ones who are ignorant of dispensationalism and ignorant of the transitions between covenants governing the various dispensations. That's why we have a dispensational chart that's different than most of them because we list the covenants with each dispensation. And quite frankly, the dispensationalism is nothing more than confusing if you don't understand the governing covenants under, under uh, each different dispensation. So unfortunately, most systems of theology emerged in variations of replacement theology or covenant theology are equally ignorant of these dispensational transitions. And their greatest enemy then is what? It's their own ignorance. 
And the deceiver is most effective because most new believers are ignorant of the basics of the word of God and how to rightly divide the word of truth, 2 Timothy 2.15. That's why God has ordained the church. The first thing after a person gets saved, they should be led into a local congregation where they are taught their responsibilities first to be baptized, the ordinance of commitment, to sanctification, walk in the newness of life, and they are to be taught that it is their own responsibility to pro be proactive in their own discipleship. And usually if you don't get someone fairly well grounded within the first year, you will not keep those people. Uh, they will be deceived away into one of these other various culture uh, variations of, of what I call step-down theology. Now false theological movements spread like grass fires. And they do so among those who think they know, but when they what they know is ignorance of what God says. And uh, they have just enough to get them all mixed up. And that certainly is descriptive of the Hebrew Roots movement. We're all familiar with 2 Timothy 2.15. Most of us have this text memorized. It says, study to show thyself approved unto who? Unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. By from who? Ashamed before who? God. Why? How do you how, how do you not be ashamed? Rightly dividing the word of truth. Now notice the connection from workman and rightly dividing the truth word of truth because that's important. It is your your work and the purpose of rightly dividing that this this text is is uh, really speaking. So although the words rightly dividing the word of truth are usually taught to mean rightly interpreting the scriptures, which is certainly part of that, but this is not the central meaning of this text. Rightly understanding of right doctrine by a pastor who is teaching is presumed. It's, you know, Paul in the text is presuming that Timothy, who had learned the scriptures from his youth, understood the scriptures. He had taught him the scriptures himself. And so he is speaking really about another thing. So the context in which 2 Timothy 2.15 lies is found in 2 Timothy 2.2 and the things that thou hast heard among what? Many witnesses. He was one of them. Otherwise it had been confirmed by a lot of the people who were taught the same thing. The same, the same things that you learn from many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. That's the purpose of discipleship. And therefore Adam Clark, I like Adam Clark's commentary on this. Here's what he says. Therefore, by rightly dividing the word of truth, we are to understand uh, he is continuing in, in the true doctrine and teaching that to every person and, according to our Lord's simile, giving each his portion of meat in due season, milk to babes, strong meat to the fully grown, comfort to the dis disconsolate, reproof to the irregular and careless, in a word, finding out the necessities of his hearers and preaching so as to Meet those necessities. You don't go and teach some things, of course, individually on a discipleship level, some things that are way above somebody's head uh, until they are capable of assimilating it. 
you teach the very basics. Now the great tragedy today is that uh, people are so ignorant of the Bible, even the basics are meaty to them. That's an unfortunate thing, but it is a reality. Uh, Bible college professor, uh, a president once told me that many of the young men and women coming into Bible colleges today have are almost completely doctrinally ignorant. And they have to do remedial courses with them before they can teach them even the very basics of the Word of God. Now certainly we must understand that rightly dividing the Word of Truth extends to a very basic understanding of the transition from the externals of sanctificational governance of the will under the Mosaic Covenant, that's where the Hebrew words, roots movement messes it up, and the transitions to the internal sanctificational governance of the will through the enabling of the indwelling Spirit of Christ under the New Covenant during the Church Age. So unfortunately there are few who rightly divide the word of truth due to the vapid infection of the body of Christ with replacement theology and covenant theology and their numerous variations, especially among the cults. So this ignorance is compounded by many local churches, parachurch organizations, refusing to address the divisions. Uh, I read in uh, on the line the other day in the doctrinal statement of, of uh, Ken Ham and, and the, the ministry that they have down there. They, they're not going to speak to these issues of covenant theology and dispensationalism. They're not going to take a side because they don't want to be divisive about it. I thought that was rather bizarre. So they don't want to address these heresies of replacement theology and covenant theology lest they lose people or financial support from those sympathetic to these false beliefs. This is what we call the broad-based theology. Broad is the way, broad-based. And if you keep your base broad, then you um, at least tolerant of the, the broad-based. Uh, you can keep a wider audience and a wider support. And of course that certainly is a parachurch organization. Not that I I'm not thankful for a lot of the things that they do teach and do, but it's not local church. Now like the Seventh-day Adventist, similar to that group, the Hebrew Roots Movement is a cult, or at least cultish, um, with some similar false beliefs. Now I have a pretty broad definition of a cult. Um, many will say, well, if you deny the deity of Christ, then you're a cult. But I think there's a broader definition of that. And there is a place where it comes to, it comes to heresy, that's causing divisions, and then it moves across that boundary into a cult. And there are variations in that. So to be fair, the beliefs of many who claim to be part of the Hebrew root, roots, roots movement are not unilateral. They're not monolithic in their doctrine because there's not one singular doctrinal statement defining the conformity of their beliefs. So you can talk to one and you think you're going to be talking to the same things and then another one, and it's not. They're, they're different. So therefore there's no real doctrinal congruity, no consistency within many of the constituents of the movements. And there is much diversity within the movement as there are voices involved in the conversation. 
So therefore it is easy for the adherents of the movement to claim that those speaking against them do not understand what they really believe. Well, I may understand what, what that person believes, but I don't understand what this one believes until I talk with him or her. So that, that's, there's that much diversity within that movement. There's some similarities, but there's a lot of diversity. So the proclamation of those within the Hebrew Roots Movement are addressed against a straw man that they call traditional Christianity as if there exists some kind of uniformity in that strong man. How many, how many different forms of what we call different or di traditional Christianity is there? Are we part of traditional Christianity? Um, what's inclusive in that group of people? That's what a straw man is. A straw man, if you erect your own straw man, it's pretty easy to tear it down and beat up, beat up on it. So their understanding of returning to Torah observance is done in almost complete ignorance of God's giving of the Mosaic Covenant specifically to who? To the nation of Israel. And God did not give the Mosaic Covenant to the world or to Gentiles or to lost people. That wasn't the purpose of it. And so, that's a misapplication. In fact, God didn't give the Mosaic Covenant to the church. Clearly, we can see that from the book of Galatians, from the book of Romans, from the book of Colossians, from the book of Hebrews. It is not for the church. It's not for Christianity. So God clearly states in Galatians chapter 3 why he added the Mosaic Covenant to the Abrahamic Covenant and the sanctificational purposes God had giving the Mosaic Covenant to Israel particularly. However, the sanctificational purposes of giving the Mosaic Covenant to the nation of Israel are now abrogated by giving the superior, that's the whole purpose of the book of Hebrews, to address the superiority of the New Covenant over the Mosaic Covenant, by giving the superior new covenant to the church age believers, which is embodied understanding the supernatural enabling grace of the indwelling spirit of Christ Jesus. Now, go there with me to Galatians 3. And we're going to read verses 16 through 29. And he says, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. Now what the Abrahamic covenant is, as we said before, is a Susan Lateran covenant. It is not a covenant between God and Abraham. It is a covenant between the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and the Father, who now, who all of the promises of the covenant are between those two people, and they are sealed in their complete, in the completion of, of, of God's immutability. Abraham simply entered into that covenant by faith, just as all of us do. But the Mosaic covenant, it says, he saith not, uh, he saith not into seeds as of many, otherwise the whole nation of Israel, but as of one. What, what is the Abrahamic covenant? It's between the Father and the Son, the seed, which is Christ, and to thy seed, which is Christ. In this I say that the covenant, that's the Abrahamic covenant, that was confirmed before, before the Mosaic covenant of God in Christ, way back 
in uh, Genesis 3.15. Now here it is confirmed in the Abrahamic covenant. The law, which was 430 years after the Abrahamic covenant, cannot disannul the Abrahamic covenant. It doesn't replace it. That it should make the promise of the Abrahamic covenant of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more a promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. Otherwise it's conditioned solely upon God's promise. Wherefore then serveth the law? Why did God give the Mosaic covenant? What purpose is it? It was added because of what? Transgressions. Tell, now look at this, tell until the seed should come. Has the seed come? That seed which is Christ, verse 16, has the seed come? So is the Mosaic covenant still in effect? No. It was given to because, uh, it was added because of transgressions. Till the seed should come. The seed has come. And he comes, brings with him a new covenant. To whom the promise was made and was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now he says, the mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Is it, does it uh, breach that covenant in the promises of the Abrahamic covenant? No, God forbid. For if there had been a law which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the law can't give you righteousness. That's the whole promise of the Abrahamic covenant. It's justification by faith. So, but the scripture say, hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ, the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, might be given to them that believe. Now that's justification. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster, our child leader, our babysitter, to bring us unto Christ. That we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we're no longer under the schoolmaster. That's what it's talking about when it says until the promise comes. Until the seed comes. We're no longer under the schoolmaster. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. That's all those who believe. For as many of you have been baptized, that spirit baptized into Christ, that's the new Genesis, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ, then are Abraham's seed. And heirs, according to the same promise that Abraham had. Now clearly in Galatians chapter 3, God distinguishes between physical descendants of Abraham and the spiritual faith descendants of Abraham in Christ Jesus, Galatians 3.28. There's a clear distinction there. So the adherents of the Hebrew roots movement failed to see this distinction and therefore failed to see the distinction between the sanctificational governance of the Mosaic Covenant being abrogated till the seed should come. That was the only time it was in place. 
and the sanctificational governance of the new covenant being another distinctive in the unfolding of the promises of God to all nations in the Abrahamic covenant. So the Mosaic covenant was for Jews only, the physical descendants of Abraham. And the new covenant is for believers, otherwise faith descendants of Abraham, who are from all nations. Now one of the primary claims of the Hebrew Roots Movement is a return to the Torah of which they define as the five books of Moses or the Pentateuch. Now they're very ambiguous about what they really mean by this and what it looks like in practice. Yet they unilaterally claim all traditional Christianity has lost the understanding of God's expectations in giving the Torah and all traditional Christianity has departed from God's intended expectations without really defining what those expectations are. So how can you say someone has departed if you haven't defined what they are, thereby that they can know from what they have departed? So the real truth is that they do not understand God's purpose in giving the Torah to the nation of Israel, and therefore their confusion begins to compound in trying to apply the Mosaic Covenant to church-age believers when God emphatically says not to do so. Tell the seed should come. That's when the Mosaic Covenant was abrogated. Now the common failure of many cults and innumerable heresies within professing Christianity is a failure to understand the dispensations of God, which are clearly defined. They, they fail to understand the transitional issue between dispensations. There's a dispensation... They fail that dispensation and the stewardship of the covenant. God judges them. A new dispensation with the new covenant begins and goes on until it ends with failure and, a new, and another judgment. But uh, uh, there's a, a great failure in their understanding of these things. They're very basic. It's obvious if you study uh, these things uh, inductively throughout the scriptures. Every new dispensation of God brings with it a new covenant with more defined responsibilities, defining a believer's faithfulness and the stewardship of the gifts of God, the gifts, the ones that he gives us, and the new revelation and the new dispensation, progressively advancing toward the, the new creation of the new heaven and the new earth in Revelation 20, 21, verse 1. Now, let's just close up here with a few things tonight. So we can see clearly that Galatians chapter 3 is a very critical text for the Hebrew Roots Movement people to understand. That the Mosaic Covenant was added to the Abrahamic Covenant. It's already in place until the seed comes. And then it's abrogated. And a new covenant is put in place. And that new covenant is a new governance under the new covenant of the church. And of course that is a structured uh, entity and there is considerable uh, disagreement about this. So the Hebrew Roots Movement is ambiguous regarding which Torah laws they will practice. So I always want to ask them, well, which Torah laws do you practice? And which ones do you don't think are important? And why have you chosen those and, and, and uh, don't choose these others? Well, what, 
how, what is the basis of your being able to make that designation? Where is your scriptural authority to do that? They're quite dogmatic about the seventh-day Sabbath or Saturday keeping. They're also insist upon uh, um, eating. Uh, says e easting. It's supposed to be eating only kosher foods, although without the rabbinical certification of those foods, kosher foods aren't technically uh, kosher until they've been certified that they by a rabbi that they've met certain qualifications. So they want to eat kosher foods, but don't want to have a rabbinical certification of those foods. Many of them don't, not all of them. There is considerable disagreement among the adherents regarding the strict instruction under the law regarding foods. However, it's unclear if they insist upon the eighth-day circumcision of children and then the circumcision of all adult males once they become believers. That's part of the law. And although they insist upon observing the Passover, there is little specificity among the adherents to how the Passover is to be observed. The Jews, under the law, has a, have a great deal of specificity. There's no uh, a mention of the Shavuot, the day of Pentecost. Why don't they celebrate the day of Pentecost? Why do they not celebrate the Sukkot, the Feast of, of the Tabernacle? Why keep the Passover and not the other holy days? Why not all of them? Why not the whole of the lunar calendar, liturgical calendar of Judaism? Now some of those of course are traditional and not biblical, but why not keep all the biblical holy days? Now theological confrontation to take care of the matter of various levels of Torah keeping took place already. That happened back in A.D. 52 with the emphatic conclusion statement of Acts chapter 15, 10, and 11. Acts chapter 15, numerous other Bible texts, the whole epistles of, uh, of whole epistles, one of them is Hebrews, are redundant with God's instruction regarding the inferiority of the Mosaic covenant and the superiority of the new covenant in Christ's blood. So church-age believers are to be sanctificationally governed by a different covenant than the Jewish believers under the dispensation of the law. We're not, under that we're not under that dispensation anymore. And therefore we're not under that covenant, the Mosaic covenant anymore. So thus, those under the dispensation of the law were, past tense, sanctificationally governed by the Mosaic covenant or the Levitical law. And the Mosaic covenant was given to govern the nation of Israel during the dispensation of law. But when the seed came, Christ came, the Mosaic law was abrogated. So the Mosaic covenant was not given to the world to establish a moral foundation for lost people and unbelievers. Although it does that, that's not the purpose it was given. The Mosaic covenant was only given to the nation of Israel to define sin bring about guilt and condemnation to, to show that they were all guilty and then to restore believing sinners to fellowship with God through various washings and sacrifices. That was all restorational for the loss of fellowship with God, the loss of blessings of God. 
So all the practice of the law were sanctification and their purposes and never salvation. I'm going to read Acts 15, 6 through 11. We'll close with this and have a word of prayer. And the apostles, that's including Paul, is here. The elders and elders, multiple pastors are here, came together for to consider of this matter. What was that? That the Gentiles must be circumcised and become Jews or Torah observers to be saved. And when there had been much disputing, why? Because there were some Judaizers there, there were some who wanted this to be part of Christianity. Peter rose up and said unto them, now remember Peter had tolerated this at Galatia, this is where this problem came from. Peter and uh, had tolerated, he wasn't preaching it, but he tolerated it. And Barnabas was carried away with his dissimulation. So they were both guilty of that. But Peter rises up now to correct this and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles, by my mouth, Peter was the original apostle sent to the Gentiles, should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, Jews. And put no difference between us and them. They're now both under the, mosaic, under the uh, new covenant. Purifying their hearts by faith. Not by their sacrifices. Not by moral keep, law keeping. Now yes, they still had moral laws. Christ restates almost all of them in the New Testament. Except for Sabbath keeping. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples by adding aspects of the Mosaic Covenant to them? Torah keeping. Which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved, Jews, even as they, Gentiles. There's no Torah keeping here. There's no Torah keeping. There's no Mosaic covenant involved in this. Now yes, there's moral laws. But there's no holy days. There's no Passover. The Passover, the last supper is the last Passover. And the first Lord's Supper. The new ordinance for the church. There's no more innumerable uh, un washings or baptisms. Like they were in the Old Testament, every time you came to the temple, you had to be baptized before you could offer a sacrifice. Priests had to be baptized before they could serve in the temple. Now there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. So we're not under the Mosaic Covenant any longer. So that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved, Jews, even as they Gentiles. It's the same way. And we need to understand that there is no Torah keeping. Now the Torah and all of the Old Testament books are written for our examples. They give us examples or hundreds of, of examples. That's what an example is. All of them. They give us hundreds of examples to learn from. Principles to learn from. Failures and successes. And it's there for that. 
But specifically, the Mosaic Covenant was only in place, added to the Abrahamic Covenant, that's Age of Promise, added to the Abrahamic Covenant as it comes into the Age of the Law. And at the end of the Age of the Law, when the seed shall come, the Torah or the Mosaic Covenant is no longer in effect. Clearly, Galatians 3 says that. Father God, we thank you tonight for this and ask that, Lord, you would help us to pray for one another and pray for these people who have been deceived and led astray, that they would be able to open their hearts to these truths and hear them. Because, Lord, your word is clear. In Jesus' name, amen.